What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Wednesday, October 16th, 2019. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by the other half of the cage, Miss Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Happy... Today is Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump Happy day, hump. right? Happy hump day. Speaking of hump, how is the bump doing? How's baby bump? Yes. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> he is excellent. He's getting bigger and bigger, and uh, we're counting down. Uh, almost officially two months before 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 he uh, graces us with his presence, so I can't wait. So you watch a lot of MMA, and obviously babies start kicking. Do you feel like you've gotten an idea of who's going to be his favorite fighter in there? Like, does he start kicking around more when Michelle Watterson is fighting or Tiago Santos? You know, have you gotten any indication in the belly yet? No, no, because I think uh, I'm too preoccupied with watching the fight to notice if he's kicking or not. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. So... (laughs) Nothing yet, but um, you know, I probably I'll probably have to pay more attention to him once he's outside when I watch fights than I am now. <laughs> that, no, I smell an Instagram live coming. Let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> no, but um, this weekend was very busy. I I'm calling this week's episode the busiest weekend in MMA because we had no short, no less than four major promotions with major events. UFC, obviously, they had, um, uh, people don't talk about it, this was one of their most stacked cards in a couple weeks that isn't a pay-per-view. PFL with uh, Kayla Harrison, those are the biggest events for their promotion, plain and simple. One championship, literally had their biggest fight card ever. And then even Bellator had a double night over in uh, Italy, or or, sorry, um, in Europe, so... It was quite the weekend. Uh, If you did not catch everything, don't worry. That's why we have a whole show devoted to it. But if we're being honest, it was a very, very loaded day in MMA. And I feel like a lot of people, even the most committed, they were just like, nope, I'm going to commit to one, record the other. But I don't blame people if they didn't catch everything. But what about you? Just what are your thoughts on just now that we're on the other side, the sheer volume of MMA that we had this week? I mean, it's a good problem to have if you're an MMA fan, right? Yeah. And um, the, for me, UFC Tampa is still the winner out of all of those. But we got some good fights uh, all across the board. So I can't complain. It is a little stressful, like, you know, stressful in quotation marks for, um, because it's, a, it's, a, it's not, uh, as you said, uh, first world problems. Uh, that's what we're talking about here. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think most of the time UFC will win out for me. And, uh, you know, depending on who Bellator has lined up, like the one we, we went, were at at the forum, you know, they'll win out that night. But, um, yeah, it, uh, it wasn't too hard to pick the one I was going to give all my time to. I'll say that. No, I got you. Uh, personally, I feel like you almost have to check yourself. Like, uh, this is our job, right? So we have to know who won by the time Sunday morning rolls around. If you think about it, you know, you don't want to watch them all. You don't have to. You could watch one later, record. You don't have to necessarily even watch it later if you're not really interested in Bellator or PFL, what have you. But, you know, like put it this way. You're watching Netflix 
You're not necessarily obligated to watch the whole thing if you start season one, episode one on Saturday to do all five that night, you know? So it's, I understand if fans are like, hey, I still am trying to get back around to watching my recording of Kayla Harrison and all that. But, you know, I always say like, just to check yourself, if you didn't catch them all, don't worry, you're not alone. But we have quite a lot to break down. The big one in Tampa that kind of stole the show. Well, I mean, we always knew the UFC card was probably going to get the attention in prime time. But all week from Wednesday, it took over. I wake up Wednesday morning and you're the first headline, I think because it was Mark Raimondi or ESPN in general. But, you know, the main event is in jeopardy because Joanna is at risk to not make weight. Michelle Watterson isn't taking a catch weight and she, they're refusing, you know, then they're talking about they're refusing replacement, they're refusing Mackenzie Dern, suddenly Angela Hill was there and they're talking about Angela Hill versus Joanna catch weight out of nowhere and I'm just like, you know, what the fluff? I mean, what, were your, what was your reaction to this news as it unfolded Wednesday morning? Yeah, it was very surprising because it did it did feel like an out of the blue um, bit of information, but but then when you take a step back and think about it, it makes sense that there would could be an issue because we know she's had struggles with making that weight before and then coming off of this long layoff. I was glad that Michelle Watterson, you know, seemed to be at least the reports we were reading, standing her ground and saying, hey, look, I want to fight this person at this weight and otherwise no beans. And, you know, furthermore, this is for a title shot. If she can't even make the weight now, then she doesn't deserve to fight for the title. So um, ultimately, though, who knows if all of that was even true. And so I kind of feel bad for Michelle Watterson having to waste her energy fielding all these questions, having to make these tough decisions when it really was a whole bunch of nothing. You know, watching you know, it play out, it was uh, very interesting. It did make, make me wonder how often does this possibly happen and the story just doesn't get out to the media and the public? Because I feel like this, okay, this is the first time in a while we've seen it play out. Doesn't mean it's the first time a fighter has said, you know, Dana something's going on i don't know if i'm gonna make you know one 170 155 that to me is like you know let's let's think about this a minute that being said i feel like everyone kind of dealt with it very well for the most part i feel like michelle was just like hey look you know either uh, i'm not saying no if she misses weight but i think michelle also knew Oh, you're having trouble, Joanna? Well, you signed the paper. Come on. And she didn't care if something... I don't want to say something bad happened. Let me check myself. But if Joanna is a little compromised through the strain of making straw weight, I mean, Michelle Watterson's cutting the weight too, right? At the end of the day, either Joanna says she can't do it or, you know, or she fights and she just has to go up to flyweight after. But the fact is, they did both agree to fight at strawweight. So I feel like at the end of the day, Michelle Watterson was like, look, you know, either Joanna will or won't. But, you know, exactly her condition, that's not on me. You know, that's on her team to figure out whether or not she can do it. That's what I think we saw. And I think Michelle handled it perfectly. Joanna on Instagram got hilarious saying, I'm sorry, but were the weigh-ins today? I thought they were on Friday. 
uh, overall, I felt like it was a very interesting narrative that really, you know, I feel like it kind of woke us up a, bit, a little bit. It's been a while since we had something like this. But yeah, yeah. you know, go ahead. It was, um, you know, potentially a very smart strategic move if, 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 if let's just say it wasn't true. Because it's kind of weird that, you know, her team would, the story is anyway, that someone on her team called the UFC. I still don't know who that person was. I don't know if anyone has asked Joanna directly, you know, who called, why was it really necessary for them to let the UFC know. Because she was playing it off like it was not an issue whatsoever. She was kind of cheeky about it, even a little aggressive with the media. Uh, so it just gets me wondering. But, you know, ultimately it didn't matter. And we'll never know if there was um, – we'll never know the truth or if there is a truth to find out. We're just going to have to take her at her word. No, I'm with you. In terms of the fight, I feel like it was a very um, – it was a very clear indication of why the firepower is that um, – big thing um i hate to say it very bluntly but i feel like that is just plain the achilles heel of michelle waterson at strawweight she's fantastic she's well-rounded her toughness i mean you watch that fight and you're reminded that she is not you know you know external stuff you know she's a very beautiful woman um you see her all the time being cute with her, her daughter and all that that woman is a fighter's fighter. She goes out there. She took a beating, and her spirit was never broken in 25 minutes. She took the back. She was always in the fight, you know, mentally. That being said, that extra size and power uh, on Joanna, on top of the game plan, her ability to stay on the outside and just pepper her um, over the course of the fight, uh, that just really kind of shows, you know, that's the biggest thing. And I feel like we've seen that a little bit against the Jess, not Jessica, but um, the Rose Namajunas's, you know, in the division. The Tisha Torres, who's a very physically gifted athlete herself. So I feel like that was just the mountain she always had going in. And we're reminded, Joanna, you know, she's only lost to the elite. She still had it. She still had that mojo on Saturday night. And Really, that was just it. I feel like it was a very Joanna fight. Yeah, she controlled the fight for, for pretty much the entire five rounds. They stayed at, uh, you know, the fight went down striking-wise at her range. And then we already knew she had amazing takedown defense, but it was it, it seemed much more improved. She had some extra tricks up her sleeve against the cage that we hadn't seen before. And so... The time off definitely showed us a new and improved Joanna, but still like in that same realm where she was before, right? Like nothing crazy brand new. She's still the same, doing the same things with her punches. She looked really, really fast, faster than I remember her um, of late. But also we have to consider the opponent. You know, it's a little bit easier to get off your shots and show off your speed with someone that's not much of a threat that that can only answer your three punches with one punch or throws a punch and, and, and just kind of stands there and is ready to take your, your counters. So the real test will be against a, a more proficient striker um, or a more proficient grappler. Someone that's just a little bit better than Michelle Watterson in either, in either way or all around to see how much Joanna uh, has really improved. No, I, I'm with you there. And um, I think that 
every indication we've been given is that if everyone is healthy going into the first quarter of 2020, that it's going to be Weili Zhang. Uh, to address the elephant in the room, Tatiana Suarez talked to Ariel Helwani and said she's still not back to full training. She's had to push back her hopeful return that she had over the summer when I and other people talked to her. And so I think that that's kind of the, that was the last little question. You know, Tatiana still needs some more time. So it looks like it will be Yoana and Wei Li, which is a very fun fight. I think that um, when I look at the two of them, Wei Li definitely is a more physical fighter. And I mean that similar to Jessica Andrade. It's not that she technically doesn't have a lot of ability, but it's the fact that she's going to push forward and she's going to look to create a little more of a brawl in exchanges. Whereas Joanna, she likes to trade with you at mid to long range where she could really get that extension on her punches, really start to pepper you, you know, with the punches, finish with the kicks and then move out of the way and make, you know, just very beautiful, clean striking. It's very fun because both of them are very tall, very long fighters for the weight class, very big for the weight class. So, you you know, I think you have in each other opponents who can actually push each other and who could really stand and take the, you know, take the offensive shot from the other, not necessarily, you know, one has to avoid something. No, they can really meet in the middle and they could do some damage and they'll, they'll bring it. So it's a fun fight. Um... The ground game of Wei Li is the big, the big X factor for me in terms of early breakdowns. But what about you? What do you think of Wei Li and Joanna? Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely the fight to make. I'm super excited for it. I'm sure the UFC wants Zhang, Wei Li Zhang to defend her title right away, you know, in the beginning of the next year, as you say, first quarter 2020. Um, that, like, they want to continue to grow China and they have a perfect opportunity to do it here with her. So this is just a no-brainer. And uh, as far as how they match up, it's pretty exciting, right? They're both skilled strikers. And I would say just off the top of my head, the advantage Zhang has is that she's a great striker, but she's also willing to brawl, whereas Joanna will brawl with you when you're wounded. Like you're the wounded animal against the cage, then she'll go into brawl mode. But she's not going to do it with a fresh fighter that's that's coming after her. So be interesting to see how she responds if Jane comes at her the way she did with Andrade, even though that was like a counter, that was a reaction to Andrade's offense. But I would like to see how Joanna responds to that kind of pressure. Because Shevchenko and Namajunas, like, they out they outstruck her, they outskilled her, but they weren't getting brawly with her. Um, so I really haven't seen her receive that kind of, um, or fight that kind of opponent yet. Where I mean, here's the thing: is that Whaley's gonna try to do what Jessica Andrade did. The difference is Whaley's a lot taller, um, which makes it very exciting. Because you're right, no one's ever just tried to, you know, at her size, try to go out there and just put a beat down on Joanna, uh, which is gonna be very interesting to see how she handles it. Because very few women are as tall as her, let alone can match with her physically at a at straw weight. But yeah, so it's very fun. Um, before we move on to the rest of the card. When do you think we'll see that? Because I think, you know, and we're going to say this a lot because we're getting to the end of the year. The rest of the 20, sorry, 2019 calendar is booked. So obviously, you know, we Adesanya, Valentina, you know, Max, whatever, everybody. We're starting to talk about, well, they're going to be back early 2020. I feel like we will see Joanna and Wei Li 
later rather than sooner. I feel like Adesanya is someone we might see like January or February, but I feel like uh, Joanna and Wei Li, you know, it might take a minute just because they want to find the right venue and the right card for them. What about you? I, hmm, I was thinking, you know, February, March, but, but if, but I think it makes sense to do it in Asia. And so for that reason, then yes, I understand your thoughts on wanting to find the right card, the right timing for a card like that. They got to take advantage of, of Zhang being from China. Like they have to run with it while she still has the belt. You know, no one's going to, she's not going to hold on to it forever. And Joanna's is a big name in Europe. So, you know, Europe, Asia, that probably makes the most sense for a, if they're going to let them headline. If not, then, you know, maybe, yeah, a big, a big pay-per-view card as a co-main or, third to last you know sometimes they do those triple champ cards which are awesome yeah bolster a big card like that yeah um you know have a seat let me try to do the beautiful mind thing um from what i've read they're not doing a january pay-per-view which means you know don't expect a big stacked card in january february they tend for pay-per-view they tend to go to australia they've done that you know the last two years or tried with whitaker we remember and then March tends to be a return to Vegas, and they stack it a champion, two championships, a big, you know, the the Coco, as Karen Bryan likes to say, that big fight before the championship fights on a main on a main card. So I want to say that if they break tradition, February somewhere in the United States might make sense on a card, or yeah, if they're looking to make another fight night, which is completely plausible. Um, they'll do something in Asia again just to strike while the iron is hot. So I think it'll be interesting, but I'm feeling February. Let's see where Joanna's foot is at in about three weeks, and I feel like that's what she's going to say. So I'm looking forward to that. Natalie, that Tampa card had a lot of fun. Um, Crone Gracie, Cub Swanson ended up being, you know, like a sleeper for a fight of the year those two just got in the middle and just beat up each other like they owed each other money um that was good stuff the nico price knockout i mean what the heck is up with that dude he just seems to get these odd ones every night that was awesome amanda hibas taking out Mackenzie dern um by decision spoiling the um you know not to worry you uh natalie but it was not a good night for the moms in Tampa. <laughs> um, it, it was just quite the card. What were your thoughts as it unfolded? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the heck out of it. You know, Swanson, Gracie, it was, to me, I know Kron is saying that he thought he won. To me, Swanson was a clear winner, but he definitely did eat a lot of shots. And, and it was a tough war. He has more of those, Cub has more of those under his belt than Kron, so... You know, it probably doesn't have too many of those left, I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, with Kron, uh, it's interesting. You know, we see this time and time again. We see it with, we saw it with Brian Ortega, like the jiu-jitsu ace that wants to prove they can stand and bang. And so he was doing that. And he was, you know, decently successful. So good on him. But if he knows, uh, if he wants to, like, preserve his face and his brain a little more, try to incorporate some more of that jiu-jitsu next time. Uh, you know, just, just, a, just a thought, um, even though I enjoy the stand up way more, I think most people do, but especially when you're a Gracie, like, Hey man, we kind of want to see what you got. 
I would want to see you like show off your Gracie prowess on the ground too. Like I, I would have liked to have seen him do something cool, but that's cool. That's the all right. That, the thing that always surprises me, everyone is talking about his wrestling and I'm like, there's only two reasons he would not, you know, shoot when it looked like he had a lot of opportunities and he was eating a lot in the stand-up, and that was either A, he didn't feel like, even though he was getting in and getting cut, he wasn't feeling, quote, hurt. So he was like, you know what, I do feel like I'm getting close to catching him and I'm getting my shots in. Or, you know, more concerningly is the idea that he hasn't worked that much offensive wrestling, which you feel like, you know, in 2019 MMA, you know, how could you not? But um, people sometimes have the same question with uh, Brian Ortega, which... You know, it's not that they're not fantastic, tough, etc. It's just, you know, one of those things, has he just gotten away with it? Does he usually get it? And because Crone is earlier in his career, you know, that's become one of the questions. But I think we're going to see a lot better Crone uh, Gracie moving forward. I think that if anything, he became a bigger star because now, you know, he can fight like the Korean zombie also if he needs to and... You know, but yeah, I think that that was the only thing missing. It was like, why didn't he go for that takedown? It felt like that was the option after the first round. But look, it was a fun fight. I really liked it too. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. Yeah, me too. And then, you know, as far as the others that you mentioned, feel feel bad for James Vick. That was a tough way to debut at, at 170. Um, but I feel worse for Thomas Gifford. My oh, boy yeah. with the long hair. I, I, I shed a little tear for you. I know that your heart was breaking over there in Montebello. Yes. I, I got to tell you, though, I was with Michael Bisping on this one. You know, could have been stopped in, in round one, should have been stopped in two and, and three. The way he face-planted, like, clearly his brain just shut off. It was just like, I can't take any more punches. I'm turning you, I'm turning you off right now. Computer is, you know, powering down. Hard to see. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they pulled that ref from his next fight and then brought Herb Dean in. Correct. I suspect because they, the commission, the Florida commission, now I don't want to put words in, in anyone's mouth, but uh, the, the team didn't, the commentary team didn't specify, but my feeling was they must have been dissatisfied with his performance, not calling the fight early or at all and pulled him. And so I'm glad for that. If that's the case, regardless, he should have called the fight. He should have stopped the fight. I think the corner should have as well. Of course, after the fact, you know, Thomas Gifford comes out and says, my coaches knew how much I could take, and I've come back from from those kind of beatings before. But, man, it's it was tough to watch. It really was. Like, it felt like he was dying in there, and I'm glad he's okay. But it, it would have hurt nobody. Like, it, no, no one in the crowd or watching, not that we're the ones that matter, None of us would have been disappointed if the ref had called that fight after round one or in two or in three. Like, it, it made perfect sense to stop that fight. And, you know, well, it, it didn't happen, but that was hard. Yeah, I, I think that, um, and I always hate to say this with refs and judges because you're always judged for the ones you did wrong, not the million and one that went business as usual, right? But, uh, the Gifford one was just very bluntly cause for concern. The way that some fights are always like, yo, man, what were you doing? Um, but look, I would hate to, you know, like anything, you know, employees are put under review anytime, even if you've had a spotless record and you have that anomaly or a bad night or what have you. 
to say that, you know, you have to take a look at them and look at the tape and ask what was going on. I mean, they do that if something's wrong with your car, you know, so if they're talking to the ref and like, yo, what was going on? You know, this, this is people's livelihood, right? I mean, you know, uh, rest in peace, Patrick Day, but we saw it. It's like, this isn't a game, you know, especially this weekend with everything that happened in boxing with Patrick, like, you know, cause for concern. So I would, I would just hope that this case is one that internally gets taken under review and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of the rest of the weekend in MMA, there was a lot of good stuff. Uh, like I said, PFL, Bellator, one championship. Um, on Friday, we'll start there because it happened first chronologically. But PFL, very interesting night. Um, the very blunt stuff, David Michaud, I know I'm going to mess it up. I won't if he wins the million dollars. But newcomer, breaks through in season two. Uh, taking on the returning vet, Ray Cooper III, who just blitzed through Friday night. That was some good TV. Um, Michaud, he gets there. He kind of, not fills in, but uh, Magomed, Magomed Sharapov, the champion last year, gets sick or, you know, just gets ill, starts throwing up. Before his fight with Cooper, Chris Curtis, who retired an hour earlier, Steps in, Ray Cooper knocks him out anyway, so the Cinderella story ends quickly. But we have a very interesting welterweight final, so that's awesome. But the big one now is Kayla Harrison taking on Larissa Pacheco, who just, let's say it like it is, she was just too big and too much for Sarah Kaufman. PFL's dream final in the lightweight division kind of gets scrapped. Natalie, what are your thoughts on that? Because respectfully and i've heard this said by a few people the only new wrinkle that season one sorry season two seems to have over season one is they had this big fight they were setting up for kayla harrison and that is now done so i think actually the 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 energy behind kayla harrison hasn't died down i'm actually more excited with this matchup in the finals even though Pacheco's not the big name that Sarah Kaufman is, because I think it'll be actually a more exciting fight, just how Pacheco performed with against Kaufman. You know, obviously Kayla and, and Larissa already fought, and it was it was the fight that made Kayla cry because she couldn't finish her and she went the distance. But I think Larissa's probably fired up, has that experience of going through rounds with Sarah with uh, Kayla Harrison. So I really do think it's going to be an interesting an interesting matchup. I don't think it hurts the PFL that much because the, the main thing is you want Kayla, Kayla Harrison there, and she's still there. And now they have a story. They can still, you know, they would have had a story with Sarah Kaufman, but now it's like this revenge thing. They can make it exciting if they, if they get the right, you know, marketing folks to, to spin it. So I, I'm still fired up for it. I just feel bad for Sarah Kaufman. You know, but you know, she she was she was climbing a, a a steep hill and going up to 155, but she gave it a shot, and yeah, she just finally met someone that was just too big for her. Yeah, I think that um, Sarah Kaufman did a good job of just like I don't want to call it passive aggressive, but you saw her all year and how she talked about winning the million, and she was not gonna ever be satisfied. You know, not saying the others are, but. 
She wanted to make it clear that she is not here to be a participant of the Kayla Harrison show, which is, you know, exactly why people were interested in the fight plus Sarah's experience. I'm with you. I like the storyline that we have because if you're Pacheco, you're like, you think you cried the last time. Imagine when I do this to you for a million dollars. I love that idea. I love that energy. But um, And then if you're Kayla Harrison, um, I'm with you. She's their star, and it's very easy. She has a lot of qualities that make her very marketable, and you know, I think that's they're very obvious, right? Yeah. I think that, to me, what we're seeing with the PFL, like we see sometimes over the years with Bellator and the early days of one championship and other places, is that if you don't necessarily have that big name free agent that you pulled, the Fedor, if you will, and people like that, you got to respect the fact that it's going to be slow developing. For example, we've talked about it. Kayla may have the size to compete with a woman like Chris Cyborg, but people feel like if you start matching tit for tat, she's just not there yet. And that's not a knock on her. She's only, what, five, six fights in in two years? That's a big jump for anybody. Um, I think that the Sarah Kaufman thing would have validated her development in terms of the skills because of Sarah's experience. But I think you just have to put it into perspective. This is a woman that, like AJ McKee, like other people, is being developed with a lot of opponents to test her more and more. And then look, you know, maybe late into season three, season four, you're going to be saying, look, Kayla Harrison, she's now at 12, 13 and 0. She's fought these bigger girls. Maybe we need to talk about a Bellator co-promotion. Maybe we need to bring in some free agents. Maybe let's see where UFC's featherweight division is at afterward. If we have some women, you know, being released from the roster, if the division is not there anymore. I feel like, you know, just patience. But I feel like Friday kind of put a check that it's like, hey, the big fight for Kayla Harrison may just take a minute because of the state of the, you know, the state of things in the free agency market is my point. Yeah, and the state of things in free agency and at that weight class, you know, it's yeah. just yeah. harder to find. I mean, she's being challenged, and so, but it's just harder to find the, the, the names that get people super excited about a fight with her. There are very few of those names. And I think you're right. Patience is... Uh, is the key to enjoying Kayla Harrison's career in MMA. Yeah, but uh, I mean, good stuff. Uh, one championship, um, I'm going to say it right now, we're not going to break it down, but Angela Lee versus, I'm going to butcher it again, I'm sorry, because girl, you kicked some butt. Zhang Jinan, that fight on TNT, man, those girls brought it. That was, that. I, I'm not going to lie, I feel like that was the best fight of the weekend. Um, that one was good. Demetrius Johnson becomes the Grand Prix champion. He does not become one's flyweight champion. He now has to challenge that guy, which is cool. So, you know, it's not like the work is already done in one year for DJ. But my question to you, one, did you catch it? Two, you know, I guess with all the MMA, how would you say that DJ's victory registered? So first, no, I didn't. I recorded it. It's sitting comfortably in my DVR right now, and I will probably watch it when um, when we when we get off the uh, yeah we get with our beautiful podcast here. But as far as his win, I was aware of it. 
And as someone who didn't watch it, so keep that in mind, to me it felt like his win only registered on social media. Like if I'm scrolling, you know, I'm scrolling through the big MMA websites and it didn't make much of an impact on the main pages. Neither his performance nor the one card in general. It was still mostly about UFC. So, um, you know, even though it's like a great big promotion in Asia and they have all these talent from America and then bigger talent that we're still getting to know, still not, at least in my, you know, lame radar, still not, still not breaching the top of the, uh, of the popularity list over here. You know, to me, the big thing, um, I saw it, Demetrius, I mean, the wrestling, he looked good. He was up against a bigger athlete who clearly came to fight and wasn't about to be, you know, a participant in the Mighty Mass show. Now that we're talking about the Kayla show. But um, I liked it. Um, I felt like the production, you got to see a little more of the walkouts, which was cool. But to me, um, the big thing about it was the timing. Man, they were up against a very good UFC card. And they even though you had the benefit of coming after UFC, like I changed the channel straight from one. And I think Demetrius hadn't even started fighting yet. Um, and I think that the Angela Lee fight actually happened after his. I mean, it, you're talking about if you sat to... Let, let's say you just watched the main card on ESPN+. Plus, Eric Anders and then Nico Price, Crone Gracie, all this stuff. By the time you get through that three-hour card, then you're like, okay, let me settle in. It's like, like anything else, it is hard to watch that much of anything. You know, I mean... What was it? They talked about the last WrestleMania that Brock Lesnar wrestles like, what, eight hours before the main event? I'm sorry, but that is a long time to stay engaged with any program. You know, even like your Game of Thrones and all that stuff, right? So they were always at a deficit going in. I would say that compared to the debut, I feel like the fact that they were going head-to-head with a big UFC really hurt them because... They were just split with a lot of attention. They were split with a lot of people that people wanted to hear from. People wanted to hear from uh, Joanna and Michelle and Cub and Nico and, you know, Mackenzie Dern, Amanda Hebus. Everyone wanted to hear from them on a Saturday night that it's like, hey, you know, no offense, but priorities. You know, if you're in America and you're writing about something, it is much easier to get the attention on the UFC people. And the one championship, you know, besides a couple fights, they kind of just went according to script. So um, the whole point of that, though, to me is that timing, scheduling, they are not always going to be head-to-head with the UFC. We're hearing that they're going to be coming to the U.S. and all that. So in terms of having a Western impact, I think it was a great card when you watch it. It's just going to be, you know, they have to happen on a night where there's not a lot of UFC or other MMA, which I know is saying something because we're in the middle of like, what, 20 UFC cards in 18 weeks? It's not easy, but it will happen. Not every card is a big event on primetime. A lot of them happen earlier, a lot of them less stacked. So I do think that one had a great debut. You just have to build on it. But in terms of stealing the show, no, it did not. Yeah, it, it didn't, and um, just as I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking, like, what could they do in the U.S.? They already have big names. They have exciting fights. You know, Bellator is so, so 
open-minded. They do cross-promotion with Ryzen. Like, if Bellatron 1 could do something similar, that would be a great way for them to make more of an impact in the U.S. market. Um, but, but otherwise, yeah, right after the UFC Tampa card, like, I watched all of it, all of Tampa, and I was just, like, a little bit tired, and the old, the old pregnant lady passed out, and that's why I couldn't watch it. Like, I turned the channel on, and I was like, all right, here we go, and then I was out, so. (laughs) That's my excuse. It's okay. It (laughs) happens. Be strong. I believe in you. (laughs) No, but, um, and look, also, that's another thing, like we said, like, there's a lot to watch. If you record some stuff or watch it after the fact, it's very normal. You know, like we, you know, talking about it, the average basketball Laker fan or whatever doesn't actually watch all 82 games of the season. You know, the, the, there's a lot of MMA on TV. So if you catch stuff after the fact, it's fine. And the, you know, before we move on, I will say this about regular or I shouldn't say regular sports more mainstream sports like basketball or baseball. I pretty much watched every Dodger game this season. And when they lose the way they did, it just makes you feel like you wasted your time. So at least that doesn't happen with MMA. That is a very good point. That <laughs> is very true. And I'm sorry. I, I heard about that. That was, that was a rough night for oh, you know boy. Dodger Nation. But anyway, that's for, you know, Dodger Daily, the other podcast <laughs> on iTunes and, and Spotify. No, but um, yeah, so quite a lot. Uh, real quick on Bellator, I know Rafael Carvalho did not have a good light heavyweight debut. Melvin Mounoff shut people, shut another guy down in the first round. The timing, the timing and the tape delay hurt that one, plain and simple. I, it was always... If, if one championship on TNT on live had an issue, Bellator was up against that and then some. So that one, uh, scheduling just hurt that card, in, in my opinion. Moving on, uh, Natalie, we talked about it last week, and I was like, well, you know, in a couple weeks, we'll hear about Cain Velasquez, and he's going to have a... He'll start on Raw or SmackDown with the WWE, and he'll lead up to the big match with Brock Lesnar. And then I'm, you know, I'm just hanging out on a Friday on Twitter, uh, recuperating because I don't know, you know, but uh, the public doesn't know I was, I got very sick. And what do I see? Freaking Cain Velasquez already fighting, well, quote, fighting Brock Lesnar on Halloween in Abu Dhabi. What? What? I mean, yeah. Woo. <laughs> that, um, quick yeah, sorry, yeah, um, I'm happy for him. One, I was surprised not that he signed with WWE, but that it was so fast. Yes. Coming off of the, you know, the AAA debut, um, or I don't know how many times he actually was, he actually wrestled two or three times with those guys. And, uh, I mean, really just like, hey man, congratulations, go get that money. Go, go Brock, go beat up Brock. Like, that's a great storyline. Abu Dhabi, you know, hey, big, huge, probably a lot of money for everybody involved. And um, there's nothing bad to say about it. I just, um, I hope he doesn't get hurt so that he can, you know, that he doesn't suffer injuries the way he did in MMA so that he can enjoy this this time of his career, of his hey, life. Hey, don't jinx it. 
I know. We're, we're not going to talk about Kane's health the way we're not going to talk about that one fight that we're not going to jinx either. That's right. <laughs> Although I will say this. I heard on Luke Thomas, the Sirius XM show, someone on his staff who's a big fan of WWE said there are rumors that Vince McMahon is not happy with Kane's physique, that he wants him to look more muscular. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Who knows if it's true? You know, he dropped it of the USADA testing pool, but I would too if you're not fighting UFC. Why let, why have to bother telling them where you're going to be all the time, especially if you're touring the country with WWE? But uh, I thought it was a little bit of, of interesting inside information if it's true. So I'm curious to see how his body develops um, in, this, in this new phase of his career. I mean, I don't want to accuse him of anything but no, no, you, tell me, you, you tell me that and he drops out of USADA I, I'm not I don't even have to elaborate <laughs> look man I, I literally like those are two separate things and you can try to make something out of them or you cannot but at the very least he's probably gonna you know hit the gym because because that's just how that world is you you know you look shiny and you look you look buff I was gonna say what has he been doing Natalie <laughs> hit the gym. Um, I, mean, I mean, what do you think he does with Daniel Cormier? Just no, eat no, no. chips? <laughs> so I can like literally like lift weights. No, I know. With a specific purpose, like you know, to sculpt his body versus just being in excellent shape and having amazing cardio. And a being a functional athlete. You need to have. Uh, you're now an aesthetically pleasing physical yeah. specimen. Yeah. Although I for get me, it. it's like I want Cain Velasquez to look like Cain Velasquez. So I, I was surprised at that comment. I don't need to see him, you know, look any different. And if you and if you go back to early WWF days, those guys a lot of the time would just look like Cain Velasquez does now. You know, they weren't buffed out of their their minds. The, the some of them were obviously, but a lot of them weren't. You so, know, what? I'm gonna hit you with one more. Cain has lived a life of discipline and hard work. Cain, if you're feeling like it, go ahead and get on the juice, man. Let's get it. <laughs> I mean, did you hear, this is a side note, but related to Juice, did you by any chance watch Rumble Johnson on Brandon Schaub's Food Truck Diaries yet? I mean, I've seen glimpses, but go ahead. He seems to be, you know, very, like, covertly honest about his time away from MMA spent bodybuilding and how he just kind of says, hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And he says that a couple of times, and so it's just like, kind of funny. Like, you saw they tested me, bro. Yeah. He's like, you saw they not testing me, and, you, you know, it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do. You so. know what? There are a few guys, like, when he first started out, it's like, I mean, you know, they were talking about how big he is, and I'm like, no offense, but it, not really. You know, you could tell he st still hits the gym. He just also now hits the buffet more often. Yeah, not, he also did. It's not bad. Food talk about eating and having to eat so much it becomes like a chore to yeah. have to shove all that food in your in your down your gullet just to uh just, just to, to put on the, the pounds yeah but i'm um, no, going back to wrestling i i hear you on rumble but um and by the way like i like it's exciting that he's coming back but to me you know like they're doing the cane thing tyson fury's on the same night that's cool stuff so the combat sports world you know People are getting money in ways that are exciting for fans. And I think, you know, how can you not be happy about that? It's a good time to have the crossover. Yeah, it's a great time. And 
But but speaking about really, really hoping someone doesn't get hurt, not wanting to jinx it, but still going to call it out, Tyson Fury better not get hurt. Because as, as exciting for him as WWE probably is, he has a great personality. Five, you know, Fury Wilder, that's all that matters in the world of combat sports right now as far as, you know, Tyson Fury is concerned. So just for God, for, you know, Lord's sake, please... Please stay safe, Tyson Fury. Hey, that is not our problem. That's the problem for the guys over at Boxing Daily. Yeah. We're, we're MMA Daily. We only care, you know, <clears throat> we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to jinx it. <laughs> All right. Y'all know which fight I mean. Boxing Daily, Dodger Daily, I will save my comments yeah, for, uh, for our send, other podcast. Send, send them a DM. They record on Thursdays. Okay. <laughs> no, but um, no, I'm just having, we're having a good, this is what happens when we have shows on Wednesdays. We just feel like we got to talk about everything and have fun. We're trying to get over the hump. No, but um, here's a good one. Bellator and Ryzen are going to co-promote the New Year's Eve show, December 29th. They're going to be going back with Fedor against Rampage Jackson. Kyoji Horiguchi, the two, two promotion Bantamweight champion, is rematching Asakura. And, you know, they haven't announced too much of the card, but the impression is there's going to be plenty of Bellator versus Ryzen throughout the night. Um, I feel like they've also done, like, just Bellator versus Bellator. They just have the athletes fight in Ryzen and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I like it. It's fun. It's good stuff. Um, Ryzen, just like one, very big on the pageantry. Um, and also, you know, for... How do I put it? I know they've gotten a lot of grief that, you know, they have, they do so much of the show, but the athletes aren't necessarily up to par. Like in the West, they have more and more guys who are really high level. Horiguchi is one of them, but I really like it. I think that um, Ryzen is doing, they're just an example of doing all the right things. And if they were to come to U.S. and have a card, I'm sure it would deliver. I know Pride did it and other stuff, despite being based in Japan. But I really think that this is exactly the kind of event that they need to steal the show. And not for nothing, they're not going head-to-head -head with UFC this year. There's no big New Year's Eve card, so they are going to have that whole weekend to themselves, which I think is a very big move. What about you? Yeah, I love the creativity that you know both promotions are are jumping, you know, both feet in with is, um, what is the PFL? It's act the PFL? that one actually is on, uh, New Year's Eve, the 31st. Oh, it's on 31st. Okay. Yeah. So they're going to be all alone there, which is smart. And, um, I can't complain. I mean, it's great. Like I said earlier, as far as Bellator goes, I wish they would, I, I hope that they do something like that with one as well. Um, you know, the, the ultimate one would be UFC, but that's never going to happen. So, <laughs> I mean, we can always make a Christmas wish. Yeah. It's getting closer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, real quick, uh, Fedor versus Rampage. That's fun. What do you think of that fight? I, I think it's an excellent matchup for both of them. Certainly safer for Fedor. It makes a ton of sense. I'm excited. You know, like no issues here. I, They're both at a certain stage in their career where fighting each other works well for, for both sides. And it'll be like evenly paced i guess as far as you know the speed they can produce and the power they can produce i mean i love it they're just gonna stand and throw bombs at each other uh yep. fedor straight from the hip rampage right in the chamber and just 
hit them with those things. I love it. I think it's good action. I think they're going to just meet in the middle and throw down, which is fun. And um, stylistically, just helps out both. You feel like, you know, Fedor's on the, you know, this is his last run. Rampage, you feel like he's just, you know, I feel like one, there's just going to be one fight where Rampage is like, you know what? In the middle of the camp, I realized that I just, I'm at the, this is the last one and that's just it. You know, he's always had that laissez-faire, you know, kind of way of looking at it. But, you know, you never know if it could be the last one for Rampage. And if it is, what better way to go out? Yeah, it would be a great finale for both of them if they wanted to do it that way, just because the opponents are perfect, the setting is perfect, you know, end of the year. So it's a win-win for fans, for the fighters, for the promotions. Let's do it. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I like it. New Year's Eve, they, they kind of get to just steal the show. I mean, I have to watch it in the morning because Ryzen operates at 1 a.m. and I got two jobs, but it's still a lot of fun. Anyway, um, let's talk about some TV. The ESPN 30 for 30 awesome documentary Chuck and Tito aired last night. By the way, if you watch close to the end, you will see a cameo by yours truly, which is absolutely awesome. Where um, did it see you? Where did you pop okay, up? Okay, so you see when there's like a when they're talking to the media ahead of the trilogy. For Golden Boy Promotions, you see me in my uh, blue shirt and a uh, dark tie. Ah, okay. I'll send you, I'll send you the screen grab right oh, yeah. after the show. Okay. Yeah, but um, so very cool. Um, Natalie, I'm going to digress. I know. What, what else does he do? But so before I was doing the MMA thing full time, I actually had a full online show on a network. And it was devoted specifically just to reviewing and talking about ESPN 30 for 30s. We did the big Oscar Emmy winning OJ Simpson Made in America. We did Buy Slamma Jamma. Um, we were on a roll. And it was a very fun time. And I always was like, man, I am going to go off the day there's a UFC 30 for 30. It didn't happen while I had that show, but we are here now, so I finally get my dream come true, and I get to share it with you, so it's awesome. I'm going to toss it to you before I go off. What did you think of Chuck and Tito? Well, I mean, it's as an MMA fan, it's impossible to not enjoy the 30 for 30 that they did. I, um, I will say the thing that surprised me most, well, two things. So because I'm an MMA latecomer right like i came in 20, 2010 but didn't really start watching everything till like 2012 uh i didn't actually know that these two guys were friends at some point and that they used to train together that was actually news to me so a little embarrassed i didn't know that but happy to have learned it here and it, it was it's a it's a compelling story they both have mm, interesting backgrounds childhoods and then it culminates nicely with this golden boy mma yeah, I'll say nicely, not for Chuck, but, you know, as far as telling a story with the Golden Boy MMA fight, the trilogy fight. So I enjoy it. Uh, what I what I would say is that unlike other sports that get covered in 30 for 30, they had to take a lot of time to set up the world, to set up the players. Just makes sense. It's, it's, it's new to everybody. So more time, I thought, could have been spent going deeper on the Tito-Chuck 
side, like a little more of their background, their life. Like there was more story to tell in that regard, but they couldn't do it because they had to set up all the, the players in the, in the world of MMA and UFC. So apart from that, I think it was, it was pretty awesome. The thing that struck me the most is how adamantly Dana White dislikes Tito Ortiz. I mean, he didn't pull any punches. He called him dumb in one way or another, multiple times throughout the, uh, throughout the episode. I knew they didn't like each other, but I didn't expect him to be so blunt about his feelings. And, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> I, I, I felt he could have been a little more diplomatic, but that's not his <laughs> style. So, so I guess not ultimately not surprised, but, but what about you? What would be your, uh, your breakdown if you were still doing the, uh, the 30 for 30 show? Oh, I was hoping you'd ask me that question. <laughs> no, you know what? Um, I always look at it as two ways. If you're an MMA fan, what did you get? And if you're a non-MMA fan and you just, you know, were enjoying it, the film, what did you get? On the MMA side, I feel like we got a lot of interesting original tidbits from both from all the players involved. So, I mean, Tito talking about, you know, his relationship with Jenna Jameson and the struggles with addiction and how that affected his twin boys. I mean, Tito never talks about that. And so to have him and all that, I mean, that was like, whoa, you know, you could watch all the interviews with Tito over the last few years and you may not even realize just how bad it was. And then with Chuck um, talking about the depression after his career, uh, that was a big one. Um, the story from his mother about the dad. I'm not going to spoil it. So if you guys want to watch it and enjoy it, definitely. It was riveting. Uh, the funniest one to me was pre-UFC president Dana White and how <laughs> Tito negotiated. You know, he was manager for both Chuck and Tito. And that when Tito was going to renegotiate, he said he was making like 50 grand for a fight. Dana White you know, in what is very easy to imagine, called uh, then owner Bob and said, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're going to do 80 grand to show up and 80 grand to win and hung up the phone. And Tito was like, are you able to do that? And Dana White says, I don't know, but I just did. First time yep. ever. <laughs> and by the way, I think if you, so that was him then. I think it's very easy to see that he's still the same guy now. He just has a lot more business deals going on. So yeah. That, that was entertaining. If you're an MMA person, you got a lot of new stuff. And then if you were a non-MMA person, I felt like it was paced really well. They, it was very clear and concise. You get the world of MMA and UFC. You're introduced to Chuck and Tito. And then very quickly, you're at the first fight. Then you're at the rematch. Then there's a third one to really keep you in... It was just well-paced, and it moves it along, and I feel like you understand the world of UFC very easily in the film, and then you get a good sense of who, you know, literally Chuck and Tito, not just the Iceman and the Huntington Beach bad boys. So I think all those things together, I loved it. I, you know, I, I'm not just saying it. I do wish I had more time to talk about it because it was beautifully done. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great uh, entry point for anyone that wants to see what MMA is all about because you get that whole history that they have to include for, for new people. And these are like legacy, iconic figures in the, in, the, in the MMA world, you know, Tito and Chuck. And you get to see 
the behind the scenes of their lives and like just what happens to fighters, what can happen to a fighter that maybe has a lot of one too many knockouts that stays in the game for a bit too long. So it, it definitely runs the gamut with um, as far as a good story and drama and uh, all that stuff. So yeah, solid job for sure. Yeah, and by the way, fans, remember, like, if you're, you know, ESPN Plus for UFC, it's on there. You can watch it anytime. You know, it's got my vote. I will say this before we move on. Now I'm ready for the Gabriel and Natalie 30 for 30 in a couple years. Yes, 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we just, we don't get a full feature. We get a short that just airs. (laughs) Not even video. They do it on the ESPN podcast. Yes, (laughs) But it'll be amazing. It'll be thrilling. Lots of highs, lots of lows. Yes, riveting. (laughs) A riveting episode. No, but um, so look, there's obviously, you know, big card this weekend. UFC Boston. There are a lot of names on the card. Macy Barber, Jillian Robertson is a fun one. Joe Lozon's coming back. You know, just him and Diego Sanchez, the Ironman of the UFC, just still fighting. But let's start in the co-main event because this one gets very interesting Yair Rodriguez, Jeremy Stevens, a couple weeks after the infamous, you know, night in Mexico. Now they're back and there's more heat than ever. Very bluntly, do you feel any differently about how this fight is going to go down because of the events in Mexico? Oh yeah, 100%. Anyone who watches MMA so will we'll by default know about this fight is way more excited about it than they were a few weeks ago after the IPO, you know, incident. These guys now hate each other, and I, I, I say, I guess, lucky us, because we're going to see a heck of a fight. Stevens is still raw about not the eye poke, but the response from Yair post-eye poke, you know, how he behaved in that, you know, iPhone video encounter. We heard Yair's version of that story, and to me, it doesn't help his case. I think I understand even more why Stevens got mad at him when they when he when when they crossed paths at the hotel lobby. Just going off of Yair's version, I, I totally get Stevens getting mad at him. So, I mean, it's just a matter of whose whose bomb is gonna land first, because they're both gonna be throwing them, and it's gonna be a heck of a fight. Yeah, to me, I think that the heat on the side of Jeremy Stevens is. It suddenly it's just gotten even crazier. I love it. Um, I think that Jeremy, not saying that he normally doesn't, but if it's possible, now there is extra heat coming at Yair in this fight, which obviously yeah. was going to be the X factor. Another thing, 15 minutes as opposed to 25, Yair gets a great benefit in that. I feel like that the cardio was going to be the thing. But Jeremy Stevens too. I mean, you're talking about, you know, 10 less minutes to worry about. I mean... If he just decides to empty the clip and just throw bombs, you know, even with more volume, I mean, why not? You don't have to worry as much on the cardio side. So it makes it very interesting, and I really like that. And then, like you said, the emotion, the discontent they have for each other after everything, I feel like it's just heightened our interest even more. So very interesting. Um, predictions, I'll go first. Man, after all that, I'm not going to lie. I'm a bigger believer in Jeremy Stevens' zig instead of zag and just put down Yair with the bomb. But I'm going to stick with my original pick, Yair. I think at the end of the day, he still poses all the same problems to Jeremy. 
and he's going to be thrown with a little more heat too. So I'm going to stick with Yair on this one. What about you? It's very tough because Stevens is going to come out, I suspect, just guns a-blazing. And that could be the thing that ends up causing him the, costing him the fight. Because Stevens has, you know, these over, he's looping overhand punches and aggression. That's his main thing. But Yair is a great counter striker. His, he has better eyes. Like he can just see things more clearly that are coming after him. And if he slips and faints and, you know, ducks and dodges at the right time after Stevens lunges forward, he can just catch him. And then that'll be all she wrote. Uh, that being said, I'm going to go against what on paper seems like a, a better odds for Yair. And I'm going to pick Stevens. I'm going to go with my heart pick and just say he is going to get, I don't know about lucky, but he is going to be able to find a way to land that bomb before Yair can capitalize on a mistake that Stevens could make. So I'm picking Stevens KO. I'd also like to point out, I know you had Yair the first time too, so <laughs> the, the, the new developments make you a bigger believer in Stevens, plain and it simple. Indeed, yeah. Okay, sure. no, that here's you're not alone. That's why I was very interested to see what you'd say because I know for me, I was like, I feel like this fight is a million times closer since three weeks ago. It's yeah. crazy. But no, that, I mean, that's what makes it interesting. I think it's a great addition. I'm glad they put it together without making either guy or us wait too long. So I love it. But we're split on that one. Let's move on to the co-main event. Dominic Reyes looks to make it a perfect 12-0. Chris Weidman looks to get things back on track in his light heavyweight debut. How do you see this fight going down? Well, you're going to notice a trend with me here in this episode because I'm about to say that I hope Weidman doesn't get too hurt here. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably stop watching MMA if that's all I can worry about. But uh, <laughs> well, No, it's okay to be concerned. Yeah. But, but I'm pretty sure a lot of fighters appreciate that, for sure. Yeah, and, and especially with Weidman because he's already endured some serious head trauma. I mean, I wouldn't say officially, but just in watching the fights that he's where he's been knocked out or elbowed pretty seriously in the past few years. And to me, like he just doesn't look the same when I'm looking into his eyes. Obviously it's just through a screen, but there's something not quite complete there, uh, which was why I worry. So I hope that, you know, skills wise, he's up to par with Reyes. He looked great against Jacare until he got caught. And I, you know, I hope, I guess we won't know until, until, until Friday, if he's if he's already peaked, and now we're just gonna kind of like watch him finish out his career. And this sounds kind of pessimistic, but I just I've always kept an extra eye, close eye on, on Weidman because of how I I feel he looks so affected by the knockouts that he's suffered. So going up a weight class is always tricky. You know, you don't know how your body's gonna respond, and then it's like you realize only too late that. Maybe these guys are too big for you, and we'll see if, if that happens to Weidman. So mostly I just hope he comes out okay. That's kind of a bummer. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's a great assessment. Um, if he loses, I think he's 1-4, 1-5 in his last couple years. I mean, that's not a good spot for any fighter. And certainly, uh, look, he's aware of that. A ain't nobody letting him forget. I have heard this been said once by a New York reporter on MMA that Chris Weidman was so instrumental in getting them 
you know, legalized over there. And he is just one of those guys, he could lose 10 fights in a row and UFC won't cut him. That's the faith they have in Chris Weidman. Wow. And, uh, yeah, which I was like, you know what, I really do believe you, um, if I'm being honest. That being said, you know, like, look, UFC is not giving an easy pick. Not that anyone is, but Dominic Reyes, he's a guy we were talking, hey, could he be the next guy for John Jones in the light heavyweight division? This is not an easy task for uh, Weidman at all. I think stylistically, I was watching the fight with um, Reyes and OSP to see how Reyes handled it. Um, OSP clinched him a lot, but really Dominic was always able to stuff the takedown and get his moments open up. Just very defense. He was able to defend well and get his offense off going against a physical guy, big, tall, uh, wrestling. He's looking to get him down and do damage. So I was very impressed with Reyes, which kind of was like, okay, that's kind of my measuring stick for what what do I see him doing against Chris Weidman. I think if Weidman gets on top of you, his ground game and his jiu-jitsu are big. That being said, you got to get him in the middle of the octagon. I think that Reyes is too big and too good. If he's against the fence, he's going to get back up, plain and simple. So I think if you're Chris Weidman, you're going to have to try to set him up with the hands and force him down with the double in the middle of the cage. Uh, I think that if he tries to clinch him too much, Reyes is just a little too big. That being said, Weidman is a very tough guy. I expect him to be a lot faster at 205 since he's not, you know, look, he's a big guy at 185, but the fact is the light heavyweights like your John Jones, Johnny Walkers, everybody, they're a little bit taller. They're carrying a lot more muscle mass. A lot of them could be heavyweights if they wanted to, really. So I think that Chris Weidman, speed and takedowns are going to be the key. Can he just change levels? Can he get uh, Dominic Reyes down? Can he put that pressure on for 25 minutes? I think that he can. That being said, I think that the defense of Reyes is going to be too much. I think that Weidman is going to be well prepared, but it's just not going to overcome the physical advantages that Reyes has in this one. On top of the skills, Reyes is a very dangerous guy, a lot of power. It's a tough fight for Chris Weidman. Um, so obviously, as you probably been listening i am leaning toward dominic reyes i'm gonna go with second round tko weidman is gonna come out to put on a show to represent but i think that he's just uh dominic reyes is just hitting his stride right now yeah that that's 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 pretty sound uh i can't disagree with with that dominic reyes i think will be too big for weidman i also see a tko I think Weidman can last a little bit longer. I, I see it going down in three, but ultimately Reyes will prevail. So tough, tough, uh, tough night for Weidman, but maybe not. I, I, that's how it seems now, but who knows? We never. Uh, that's the beauty of MMA, right? Exactly. Except- now anything can happen. I want to bring this up before I forget. Um, the expectation is that should uh, let's be honest, either man at this point, if they win. They are in the running for John Jones in the next one. There's obviously Johnny Walker, Corey Anderson, Jan Blahovich, and uh, Jacare. So if I'm looking at the division, and go with me into the crystal ball, okay, Natalie? Yes. Let's say Corey Anderson shocks um, Johnny Walker. Let's say Jacare gets uh, Jan Blahovich. Do you think that Dominic Reyes or Chris Weidman, by default, 
uh, would be the big name that John Jones that would be pushed up to John Jones? Yes, by default, yeah. I think it'll be Reyes, but Wyden should he win? He's he's the biggest name of all of them, and just in MMA and UFC, so it would not necessarily make sense um, from a fairness perspective, but it certainly would make sense from a marketing perspective. To and then you know to to pair him up with Jones and you know look good on the poster, and I don't think he, hmm, I don't think he would have success, but it's an easy fight to sell. I feel like it's similar to the Volkanovsky Frankie Edgar situation. If you're Weidman, it's you know it's not that uh, let's say the other guys aren't doing very well or aren't great contenders, but it's just the name value and familiarity, the strength of a big victory. It's just kind of a no-brainer, right? Um, and then if you're Dominic Reyes, I think for sure you know you suddenly stand out compared to Jacare, middleweight, barely moving up, coming off. Yes, a good win, but still the loss at middleweight. Then if you're um, Corey Anderson, he's a guy who's been up and down. I feel like he still needs that big one. Johnny Walker, a Johnny Walker victory would be um, great for his career. But I don't know. I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like there's just a little more storyline. It's just easier to get on the Chris Weidman track or the Dominic Reyes compared to the Corey Anderson for John Jones. So I feel like marketability... Either way, the Saturday's winner stands out. Now, that being said, let's say Johnny Walker does work and Jan Blahovich does work. This now becomes very intriguing because I'm not entirely sure where John Jones will go, which I guess he doesn't either. That's why we're, you know, he hasn't been booked yet. So my point, Saturday is going to be very interesting to setting up the pieces for the next few months. Yeah, I think so. So... You know, both guys, it's in their best interest to not just win, but to win in an exciting fashion to really get the fans and the champion interested. No, for sure. It's going to be a good one, too. And I'm looking forward to it. Natalie, next week we have quite the busy one. We have two cards in Bellator plus UFC. So this one, I'm not even going to try to break them down, but it's another Friday, Saturday for Bellator. Friday has Frank Mir rematch with Roy Nelson, and Saturday has the big rematch for a million dollars, Roy McDonald, Douglas Lima 2. Um, there are a lot of cards throughout. Friday, or sorry, names throughout. Friday has Phil Davis, Beck Rawlings, Jake Hager. Saturday has Paul Daly, Nick Newell. So both cards are stacked. It's very fun. Um, Damian Maya, Ben Askren. I mean, we're going to have a great... Uh, grappling showcase I feel like there's if anything the talk because Damien Maya is such a nice guy so is kind of letting this one fly under the radar but you know neither guy really competes you know I feel like we're gonna have a great showcase of their skills plain and simple I, I'm really interested to see how Damien handles the wrestling of Ben Askren and vice versa with the jiu-jitsu so I think it's gonna be a very good showcase you know it's not gonna get you off your feet, knock the socks off, your laces are going to stay tied, but it's still a very intriguing fight with two very talented fighters. So what are your thoughts as we go into next week? Yeah, it's, it's definitely flying under the radar, but I am excited about it. It's like an anaconda versus a python, you know, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna prevail with their respective grappling art. So I'm excited for that. McDonald Lima uh, with Bellator, 
that's great to have finally conclusion to this Grand Prix. You know, I understand why they spaced them out so much, but they kind of lose a little bit of steam and with those long, uh, those long resting periods. So I'm glad that we're going to get to see this, this finished. And also I'm excited to see Beck Rawlings. Oh, me too. Um, you know, I don't know officially if she's still with BKFC. I think her contract she... ended. Is my ah, okay. understanding. So I was surprised when she signed, announced that she was with Bellator because when she started with BKFC, she said, "This is my new sport. I'm all in. I'm done with MMA." And she's was successful. She didn't lose a fight. She was the champion. So you know, I'm curious. Uh, I haven't seen an interview of hers or anything, but I'm curious to know what inspired her to go back to MMA. Bellator is a great place to go back to. If you're going uh, returning to the sport, but yeah, I'd like to see how she looks. You know, striking specifically boxing was always her strength, so that'll probably be more more improved. But let's see where else she's gotten better. I think it's going to be very interesting. I think that you know the appeal of going back as the queen of bare knuckle and returning to the cage. I think it's a great story, but um, yeah, 100%. yeah, I think it's going to steal the show. I'll also say final thing, and we'll wrap it up. Is that uh. I think that Douglas Lima has way more attention than he did in the first fight. You know, the you know now people know where he's at because Rory McDonald was the measuring stick, and then he's got the knockout over MVP. Yes. Suddenly, this fight is so much closer than the first one over like clear, almost two years ago. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I feel like the stakes are raised in a great way for a rematch. So I really like it. I think it's going to be good. Definitely. But, Natalie, it's going to be another busy weekend in MMA. Where can fans find you to talk about all this? On um, the Twitter machine, Natalie Zamudio underscore. And guys, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double, and we'll be back next week.